You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Is anyone old enough in this room to remember real hold-in-your-hand-touch photo albums? Anybody remember these things? These things right here. Man, Grandma would get this going. You might not get out of her house for four hours once she gets these Photo albums going, this is a portal. This is just a whole book of legacy. And, uh, you know, you open these things up, and who knows what you would find in these photographs. Um, You would just find random snapshots, because they didn't have the selfie camera back then. You would just take the photo. And if your eyes were closed, too bad, dude. That was all you're going to remember from that wedding. There's only one photo. You don't take four of them. You know, and they're just kind of scattered about, and who knows when they were taken, and if there's any organization to them, and they're vertical and horizontal. And we were just a lot less... uh, you know, just uh, pretentious back then, I guess, about our photos. And, you know, there would be red eyes in some of them, and there were just these really wonderful, like, commemorations of, of our past and history. I brought a couple from the 80s. Y'all want to see some good yeah, 80s. 80s Asian kids right here? This is, um, <laughs> this is uh, what would be in my mom's photo book. That was mine. But this is little Ollie next to Grandma Pat. Uh, Grandma Pat would frustrate me. She wouldn't send me any money, but she'd send me Jesus cards in the mail. Uh, back when, uh, when I was about that age, about eight years old. And, um, and uh, she was one of the first believers that uh, I knew that like walked the walk and talked the talk. And she would pray for me. And, and I, I didn't come from a, from a believing background, but I know Grandma Pat has a lot to do with my personal story and history. Next uh, slide there. Uh, here's a picture of yours truly. Do, and anybody can identify this hero, Dick Tracy. Can I get that for $500? There you go. Boy, that was Christmas morning. And there was nothing like... 80s Christmas mornings, because you were just in that house, and there was no screens or iPads, and so it all rained joy on Christmas morning. That was me on Christmas morning in 91, I think. All right, next slide. Uh, Here's a picture of first day of first grade. You wonder why I had uh, butterflies. Boy, the world was about to happen to me in that picture. I did not know what was about to happen. That was when everything was good. All right, so next slide. My good friend Morgan, uh, Dirt Day is what they called that at the preschool. We went to a very earthy Montessori type school. Didn't have a lot of money, but they had a lot of dirt. So we got to it on that day, Dirt Day. Uh, Next slide is, uh, oh, there's Sensei Linda. Y'all didn't believe me I'm a black belt. I know that's very uh, stereotypical that I'm a black belt in uh, karate, but I am. I am. So that's that. So don't mess me. Okay, next slide. Uh, hey, been, uh, been like Mike since day one. That's, uh, that's like 91. And I think I have my little rat tail in the back back then in, in 1991. Is that the last picture I have? Two more. Okay, just quickly through Justin, because goodness, there's Morgan again, Fry Harvest Race. This is what I'm talking about. Like, who's that kid back there that's in front of this church now in Albany, New York, now in the Fry Harvest Race? We didn't know what these things were. I was lucky I didn't just get that kid's picture in my photo reel in CVS. Uh, when I picked it up. And then the very last slide, oh, the cousins. There you go. So that's how we did it in the HK. So that's, that's a little slice of history. There you go. Now you know me better than you've ever known me before because of those pictures, I feel like. You'd go to CVS and you'd pick up the little like disposable camera thing and your mom's finger was in front of four of them. You couldn't even see what they were, you know? Um, uh, man, like, it, I don't know if you can remember this, like without a phone, you kind of didn't know what you looked like. You know, like, could you imagine just going through life not knowing? It's like, does my hair really look? Does my, do I really look that bad? Um, we're constantly in the, in the camera lens these days, and we can constantly see kind of feedback of how we look and how we sound. Uh, boy, that was just always like, oh, I didn't know that I, uh, I looked like that. 
when you get these, when you get these things. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know. If you, had, if you said between the Google Photos and the actual photo albums, I think I'd pick the photo albums because they were just real. The pictures were just gritty and grainy, but they were real. And, you know, they caught you in serendipitous, uh, unplanned, spontaneous moments, and they told the story a lot of times better. And you, and you had to really rate, ration the amount of pictures you took. Like, you couldn't just snap pictures of your burger from five guys, you know? Like, if you had a picture, it would better be a daggum good picture. You only had 30 of them. And so they were real. And so I would vote for the photo albums. That's just, just my vote. I was having uh, lunch with a friend of mine and mentor. Um, many of you guys know him, uh, Charlie Boyd from Fellowship Greenville. And we meet about once a month. And we got to talking about acts and just trying to, you know, start with the end in mind and get thinking about the series for the year. And, and we got down to the very end of the coffee. And he said something that I just, I just loved it. He said, you know, if you really zoom out and think about it, Oliver, the book of Acts is a lot like a family photo album. He's like, you know, um, there, there isn't like this uh, continual thread narrative that you can like parcel out different segments of your message or different parts of the, of the series altogether, but there's just a big conglomeration of little snapshots that basically communicate uh, the identity, not just the actions, but the identity of God in his church. I mean, you're opening up the book, and there it is, and Peter's preaching the thousands, and then the very next day, like, or the very next chapter or whatever, it's like uh, Ananias and Sapphira are dropping dead because they didn't tithe right or whatever, right? And then, you know, you have these off-the-wall stories about this kid named Eutychus that falls out of a window and dies and gets resurrected, and then you've got Cornelius, one of the first unbelievers that comes to the Lord and his whole household is saved, and the council that follows after that that agrees within the unity of the Holy Spirit, despite the conflicts between Barnabas and Paul, that the church is going to accept outsiders as, as equal to insiders, as Gentiles as equal to Jews. And so really you could take little pictures out of the album and get something valuable out of them, but it's the myriad, it's the quilt really of all the photographs together that, that show you not just what the church acts like, but what the church is like, what the identity of the church actually is. And so the profound spiritual experience we could get over the next 28 weeks together uh, reading this book um, is not just to get a better picture of the photo album of the, the early church, but to get a picture of the current church, to get a photo album of, of who we are and where we come from and what we're like. I think sometimes we open up the, the book of Acts and we, we get this unnecessary guilt on us, like how come my life doesn't look like that life? There's this kind of shame that comes upon us like it's a report card that God, of course, the shame condemnation thing which finds its way in every, you read the Bible or watch the news or whatever, shame and condemnation's on every corner. But that spirit can get into the Bible and the, you know, the enemy could use those words against us rather than for us and, and to judge us rather than to encourage us and comfort us. Like if you were um, at college away from home and you were depressed and sad and missing home and out of money and out of energy, you know, and I came to your dorm with like a photo album, I wouldn't be coming to shame you. I'd be coming to remind you. Hey, man, do you remember where you're from? Do you remember who loves you? Do you remember the same mom that packed your lunches like at home praying for you right now? Like, do you remember who you are? If you're on your hospital bed, you know, and you're really like tempted to give up, you're really discouraged, like not just physically sad and sick, but like mentally and spiritually. And I brought the photo album. I wouldn't be bringing it to bash you over the head about why you're in the circumstance here. And I'd be like, hey, do you remember who is in you? Remember the power that has, has come before you and gone, gone beside you? And so I think that's what this is. It's like that story is our story. It's like the NBC, you know, series. This is us. This is us. This is our spirit, the very same spirit that is doing all these things in the book of Acts. And as the Gentiles were saying at one point in the story, this is turning the world upside down. That's the spirit that's in us. 
It's the spirit in this room. The people that we see, it's a good thing. We, we need to see Peter in the Gospels before we see Peter in Acts to know that he's the same kind of doofenshmirf as I am, as you are, that we would know that we have the same spirit. It's not a different spirit. It's not a, it's not a different, different mission. It's not a different calling. It's different, different times, and we have internet now, and different modes of transportation, different culture, different frontiers that we have before us, in front of us when it comes to mission, but it's the same mission. It's still about people. It's still about Bartholomew and, and Judas and James and, and Peter and John getting called by the rabbi to drop their nets. It's still the same mission. It's still the same thing. It's still the same story. And so the book of Acts is really not just the church's photo album. It's our photo album. It's our story. So if there's one verse, if you're a Bible verse memorizer, you like memorizing verses, I think if there's one verse in all of the book of Acts that might do well to, to memorize as we go through the next couple of weeks together is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Are you there? Um, and here's, here's really what I think is the verse that might grab hold of your heart and it might whisper to you, not just on the first page, but on every page. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is our verse. Like it's a verse that's spoken to the original audience in Jerusalem, but it's also spoken to Greenville. And this is what's true always. Verse 8, you will receive power, says Jesus through Luke. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that same Spirit that led Jesus into the desert, the same Spirit that breathed over this world and created creation, like it lives in residence in you, and it's going to come onto you. It's going to cloak you from on high. And then he says, and from that, you will become witnesses. There's, there's a really shame, you know, just it's a shame kind of a, a theology that says, because I know God, he's going to make me a winner. I know God and I know that he's with me because I'm a winner. I don't, I don't know if you're reading, you know, this book or read this book before, book of Acts or any gospels, like the guys that he picks are not winners and they don't always win. And one of the encouraging things he's saying, I'm, I'm, I have all authority, right? And on heaven and earth. And I, and I tell you, I'm sending you forth to sometimes lose. Because losing while you witness is still glory to God. So whether you win or whether you lose, you can still witness. And so the reason why we're awake today and breath in our lungs is because the Spirit is upon us to witness, not just to win. To witness, to be witnesses. Where? To Judea and Jerusalem and Hong Kong and Spain and Greenville and anywhere else. We're, we're here to witness. If you've gotten up today with the Holy Spirit in, in your body, you are here to witness and to be a missionary here in the place that you live. So as I said before, in just the opening comments there, I think there is an opportunity, a chance really, to play our part in the photograph on the page that we're on. I think that what's before us is an opportunity. The thing about the kingdom of God is that it's always about gifts and it's never about wages. And the thing about gifts is they have to be offered. They can't be corralled. They can't be arm twisted. They can't be manipulated. Like, like at the end of the day, the church has to have the decision to be the church and be the church or not. And I'm sure, I don't know about the history books, I'm sure there's lots of unactive acts books out there of churches that never actually become the church. You could be married, sleeping next to somebody for decades and never actually be a spouse, right? And you could, as you, in all the different professions, let alone teaching, be working in a job with a job title that says something about your name on the door, but you actually don't occupy that job title. And I think it's very well possible in reading this book that we have an opportunity, but not a foregone conclusion, that we can call ourselves a church 
and go to church and be at a church and tithe to a church and talk about church, but never be the church. And he's saying, if we were to do such a thing, to, to talk about church without being church, we would miss a tremendous opportunity to be in a photo booth, in a photo book that goes way beyond our timelines, to be a part of something that's bigger and greater and better. And dare I say that the things that we go to sleep at night missing and pining after and heartsick over probably, ha- probably um, are, are yearning after some of the things that are in this book, to not miss the mission, to get the American dream and miss the kingdom. It's a wide path and, very, and, and, and a rare, and, and it's, a, it's a wide path and a very commonly chose, chosen story to not live out of this book, out of the book of Acts. And so just for today, we're just looking at Acts chapter, 10, or chapter 1 and moving through the first couple of verses, but there's one verse that I want to read first that just kind of caught my attention, just for Acts chapter 1, not the whole book, which is Acts 1.8, but Acts 1.10 for this, this chapter. In verse 10, it just caught me. It says, you know, they were going... And they were looking intently, he's talking about the disciples after the ascension of Jesus, into the sky. And as he was going, suddenly two men that were dressed in white stood beside them. And I just picture this little, like, encounter moment. This, like, decision moment to perceive and not just see, like, what just happened in front of them. The ascension of Jesus happens, and the angel comes right beside these men, and speaks to them, maybe in the way that he'd speak to some of us today, in verse 11, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? The same Jesus who has been taking up into heaven, he's coming back. The same way as you've just seen him go up to heaven, he's coming back. And so what he's saying, theologically, the angels are saying, is that Jesus didn't just go up into the sky to go sit on a cloud, he went to go sit on a throne. And it's like Michael Jordan in the fourth quarter with the basketball in his hand. If it's Michael Jordan and it's the fourth quarter and the basketball is in his hand, it's as good as done. Like he's going to win the game, right? How much more then when Jesus goes to sit on his throne and says it's finished, is it finished? He's saying, hey guys, y'all are looking at the sky and you're waiting on God to come down when he already did. And you're waiting on the spirit to fall down when it already has. And you're waiting on God and he's waiting on you. If Jesus is up, and the spirit has fallen down, then today is for going, not waiting. And so I think sometimes the, the book of Acts is coming to us. He's saying, I, I see it like you're waiting for your kids to grow up before you go on mission and go be the church. But he's not waiting. The, the, the gospel is not come for you to start going when your kids are growing up. Actually, your kids maybe are one of the best ways that you're going to connect with parents and share the gospel. You see, don't miss it. Today's the day that you're going, not later, today. You might be in a situation where you're incredibly, you know, sad and depressed, and you're thinking, well, when God comes down out of the sky, and when he, when he speaks to this emotional trial that I'm in and this trauma, then I will go, and he's saying, do you know that your weakness is where my power is made perfect? Do you know that out of that, your sermon is going to be loudest and more prolific than any before? And so here's that lie, is that we're looking at the sky, waiting on God. God's like, I've already come down. I'm waiting on you for you to be the church. The Spirit of God has come inside of you to be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, and the ends of the earth. And if the ball is in his hands, it's as good as done. It is as good as done. The work has been finished, and Jesus, his Spirit, lives in us to continue and complete what has already been accomplished in Jesus' name for his glory. And so join with me in Acts chapter 1 as we just take a few verses today and just consider what this um, reading might be like for the next couple of months. In my former book, uh, Theophilus, I write to you, 
uh, and I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I, I love um, movies where the, where the sequel, they don't cheat. They start where the last movie stopped. That Back to the Future 2, Immediate Rest, we're not just getting set up with mom and dad. Like We just start right where the last one stopped. And that's precisely what's going on in Luke and Acts. It was actually one volume. They didn't even roll credits between this thing. The, the, the author is writing this thing as though you just got done reading the last book, Luke, Luke, uh, the end of Luke onto the first chapter of Acts. So when it says, hey, remember when I wrote to you about the first book where Jesus began to do and teach what he was doing, what do you think that the beginning of Acts is going to be talking about except for what Jesus will continue to do? This is a to-be-continued book. Until the day when he was taken up in heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So, so what he's done is he's broken it all down just like a good director and he's, he's put a little bit of a Star Wars, you know, text line up there to explain what's happened. Stage one. Jesus showed you some stuff. Remember that? That was pretty cool. He healed some people, and he preached some things, and he did some things, and he got some people ticked, he ticked some people off. But he didn't just, he, Jesus was not just a shower. He wants you to know that. Also remember, Jesus was a teacher, and he instructed some things. So he did some things, he taught some things, but it was not just so that in the Western eye kind of modern way that we do school, just just sit and get so you would see and teach, but that you would continue what he's doing. But this is the most important part. Acts chapter 1 is the hinge of the whole entire book between Luke and Acts, is that between the showing, the teaching, and the sending, there was a filling. There was a filling. This is really important. This is what he wants you to know because the filling that happens of this church, of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, is going to matter on every other verse of the thing. So you can't miss the first chapter of Acts because in the first chapter of Acts, you basically have that one photo, right, before you lost all your weight, right? That one photo of the church without the Spirit. Nowhere else in the Bible are you going to see this. Nowhere else in the Bible are you going to be able to watch. He wants you to pay attention to this because he's trying to show you the church without the Spirit has no acts. There is no action of any merit or any value or any impact. The church minus the Spirit is no book of acts. You will have none. So that you will always remember that when we see the actions that are taking place in this book, the acts are actually not the acts of the apostles. They're actually the acts of the Spirit. That the men and women that are in this book, they're just gloves. And in between the pictures, what you're supposed to recognize is not how cool Peter is, but how powerful Jesus is. And therefore, with different places and spaces and times and technologies and different circumstances, we are not here to be like Peter. We are here to be empowered by Jesus. And on every page, we are not watching, you know, uh, role models and leadership, uh, leadership uh, uh, books of how we should go ahead and, and prescribe the way we act in 2022, but rather we introduced to the person, the person of Jesus. So I want to talk a little bit about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, just to get it all, just rock the boat real good. It's all about language in my opinion, based on the studies that I've done. But the occasions in which somebody would be saved and then separately baptized in the Holy Spirit only happen three different times in the book. 
So if we are seeing that as a normative thing, we just have to recognize ratios, proportions. It is not very common in the book of Acts that somebody can be saved and water baptized, and then, whoops, I forgot, I got baptized in the Spirit, now I can speak in tongues. That's just not common. It's not common. It's, it's possible. I see the exceptions as really ways that the author wants to show us, again, that chapter 1 reminiscence. Like, when the Gentiles get saved and they get baptized by the Spirit, they're like, well, why don't we baptize them in the water as well? Just because there's some lapse there on some of the occasions. But for most of the occasions, baptism in the water, I believe, is the same thing as baptism in the Spirit. You don't get less of the Holy Spirit than somebody else. When you get under the Spirit, you are fully under, under the water. And when you get raised up, you get everything that Jesus got, which is the full portion of the Holy Spirit. Just my little soapbox, okay? Now, what I do think that people mean when they say, I experienced, some of us in this room, I, I think all of us, some of us had different ways that we talk about it. But when we experience a heightened sense of the presence and power of God, that is not only a legitimate thing, that is an essential thing. And I would call that the filling of the Spirit. Okay, so that's a semantical difference that I think makes a big, di- makes a big deal because then sometimes you're like, well, I didn't pray enough or do this enough and then I must not have as much. Of the whole. No, every, I, I believe that every believer, by grace and not by works, has all the Spirit wants to give us, right? So I think that the language is important that we not only optionally but essentially need the, baptism, or need the filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. So let me just give you a couple passages. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Paul says, hey, look, if uh, August 2nd, you went out and got super drunk in downtown Greenville, uh, if you walk into church on August 14th, you're not going to be drunk anymore, right? You can't just get drunk once and be drunk forever, okay? So that's the analogy. Uh, Do not get drunk on wine, says Paul, which leads to debauchery, but in in a slanted metaphor, understand that you can be submitting yourself the same way as you do on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and, you know, however long you're drinking, be influenced by the Holy Spirit perpetually. So the key, verse, the key verb there in this, in, this, uh, in this verse is not just be filled with the Spirit, but be being filled, a present progressive verb that says continually, verse 19, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart. Always give thanks to the Lord um, uh, God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to like machine gun, there's like 50 verses in the book of Acts that you're going to see, but every time that you do a study, just circle. When something awesome happens, see if you can't find somewhere nearby there that says, because they were full of the Holy Spirit. For example, uh, Acts 11:24. for, and he was speaking about Barnabas, was a good man, and unlike some other good men, was also full of the Holy Spirit, kind of like the deacons were. They were full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith and considered, uh, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas, in, in some way, was used to bring people to the Lord but not by himself and his personality is wit, but because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52, watch the language. The disciples were continually, be being filled. You can be a Christian, and I'm not saying empty, but not full. I've been, I've been not full before, okay? Disciples needed to continually fill themselves, be filled with the Holy Spirit, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, 1, even Jesus, it was, it was mentioned of him, that he had a status of being full in the Holy Spirit, probably all of his life, returning from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then we come home to the takeaway. Why would that matter for us? Verse, uh, Luke 11, verse 11, which we read in the prayer series. And he's talking about good stuff. Hey, do you like good stuff? Go talk to God about it, right? That's what prayer is about. Which of you fathers, if you're looking for a, for a fish, would give a snake? So he talks about fish, and then he talks about eggs, and then would you get a scorpion? And then, he, then the zinger of all the good things that you could ask for, verse 13, if you then, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the best gift? What is it? The Holy Spirit. 
So I love Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he's a conservative, Protestant, Welshan, sounds like a firecracker preacher from the 1800s, okay, wrote a lot of commentaries uh, that I'll read from time to time, uh, explains the Holy Spirit like a father holding the hand of a child. If you can imagine a Christian walking down a path with their father, they're never disunited from their, from their parent, they're holding their, the, the hand of their father, they have nothing but safety and protection and provision. He says, sometimes, I'll read it in a, in a moment, sometimes though, uh, during, I guess, times of, that, that, uh, that the father would see it and deem it wise, the father will wrap the child up into his arms so close and, 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 and embrace that child so, so close that there's so much joy and love uh, between the father and the kid that when they're sent back out, they can, they can no longer uh, experience anything but the joy and the presence of their father as they send that, person, as they send that kid out into, into, into their day. So this is how he says it. Martin Lowe joins in his, in his commentary. He says, the fuses of love in the filling of the spirit are so overloaded that they almost blow out. Have you ever experienced that before? I think that's a good word. There are times, and you, don't build, you can't build your faith on these kinds of emotions, but they are essential for mission in life, where it's like your head can't even put words to what the Spirit is doing. And notice that it's not this mystical, transcendent, new-agey kind of a feeling. It's highly relational, according to Martin Lloyd Jones. The subconscious doubts, this is the point, is that the space between the father and son becomes eliminated, eclipsed. That he wasn't thinking about the time but that pop up every now and again are gone and their places in utter indestructible assurance. I think that's one of the things that happens in the filling of the Spirit. So that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that God is real. Isn't it true that if you need to have life and mission and, and marriage with Jesus, you gotta know he's real? And there's these moments that, that go beyond some articulation or some argument or some apologetic reference that you as a kid, you gotta know in your knower that you're loved. And this, thought, this life is too hard and it's too impossible and too powerless without, without the Holy Spirit to do this ministry in our life that we know that we know that we know deep down inside that we're loved. And as you walk down the street, you, are, you can scarcely contain yourself. And you want to cry out, my father loves me, my father loves me, my great father I have, my father loves me. John Piper, in his explanation of, of, of being filled with the Spirit, simply says to be filled with the Spirit is to be full of joy. I saw a lady down at the DMV the other day who's a Christian, acting like she shouldn't because she has the joy of the Spirit. Have you guys ever seen this? A contrast culture that's exuding out of a believer, not because they know a bunch of stuff or they memorize Scripture, but because they know their Father loves them from a deep down place. So maybe my take would be is, I believe if you've been baptized in water, you've been baptized in Spirit. But if you are on mission with Jesus, you got to be filled with Him too. You have to be filled with Him daily, 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 asking for the greatest gift that you can ask, which is for more of the Spirit to be overflowing because this is what Peter says in Acts 4. I don't have anything to give you. I can only give you what Jesus gave me. And if I don't have the spirit from him, I have nothing for you. This is the only thing, the most important thing that we have to offer is the fullness of the spirit. So the way I thought about it is being full of the spirit is not optional. It's essential for life and mission of Jesus. And so I just, I pull up a chair to myself, to you. If you have never been full of the spirit, you have window watched somebody else. Be joyful in the DMV, but you can't put up with it, right? or it's just been a really long time, I want to give you invitation from the Bible and permission to ask for what Jesus told you to ask for. Before any other thing, you should ask for the Spirit. So I just wrote up three different words, and you might just take them, take them in your head, and we'll move on to the next passage. But one of the 
most profound prayers that I've read in all these different, different prayer books or different even denominations or, or traditions. Just three words. Come, Holy Spirit. Tomorrow morning, get the coffee first. But after that, invite him, knowing he is not the sum total of your theological framework. He's a person, and you need him. And so you need to ask him, come, Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus says when we pray for stuff, anything, whether it's a job, especially the Holy Spirit, is to seek. Is there anything in me that makes something else bigger or better than you, Holy Spirit? Because the, the, the reality is it's not that he's not present, it's that we're not. And to draw near to God is to let go of everything else, everything else that would hinder us from magnifying him. Is there an enemy that's bigger than him or an idol that's bigger than him? Because I can't be full of him if I'm full of something else. And lastly, 1 John says, we have to do a little bit of navigating. We can't, we can't promise helicopter pastor people into the spiritual realm without having to learn how to test spirits. You know, not, not every spirit's holy. There's something called the Christmas spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. And so you can't test the spirit unless you test the spirit, unless you, unless you see the fruit of it over the years, unless you see the sound of it, the songs that come up out of your heart. Is it love and joy and peace and patience or is it something else? That's the only way, and there's no, there's no helicopter way of keeping Christians out of being able to test the spirits because they have to learn how to test them. I, this is a little side comment. This guy's talking about, man, there's people making so much money on YouTube criticizing other preachers about their theology. You know, like there's a whole thing about this. He's like, you know what's better than teaching people about false teachers? It's teaching people about false teaching. Because if you teach somebody about false teaching, they can pull out any bad teacher or probably the 10% of stuff that I say wrong on Sunday morning, right? So... Know the difference of the spirits. That's how, that's how we can knock. Uh, moving on, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So they gather around him, and they said, Lord, um, I want to know the time. Is, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, I'm probably going to expedite my, uh, my uh, outline here. But um, uh, one of the things that um, you guys might get triggered by, I, I certainly do, this is my a secret little trigger of mine, is when a kid or a person will come to me and they'll, they'll come and they'll say, hey, uh, what's the plan? I mean, that's a pretty harmless statement. Like, why is that triggering? But it does, because basically, I'll break it down. Like, when, when somebody comes to you and they say, what's the plan? What they're really saying is, I want you to like organize all of the desires and the preferences of everybody in this family, right? And neutralize them towards something that everybody likes, which number one is impossible, right? So you want me to like take like all of the things that don't work in this family and make them work, right? You just came to me, woke up, you yawned, and you just wanted me to do this on command. Two, all the other unpredictable things about the weather and the money and the gas and all the other things. And then three, you want me to present them in some clear format that you're going to vote for, and you just want to sit back passively and contribute nothing and expect I just give you the plan. I'm like, how about you come up with the plan? How about that? That's how I feel, right? <laughs> so clearly, right, Jesus is on my side with this, right? Because he, classic, from the days of Abraham, doesn't give us hows, he gives us whos. Isn't that how he does it? I'm not going to give you the how. I'm going to give you the who. He's like, boop, let me just tell you, I don't know the times, and you don't know, and that's not your lane, so stay out of it. 
number one. And number two, but I will tell you who. I will tell you Jesus. I will tell you the Spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you to be witnesses, and I'll tell you the where. I'll tell you in Jerusalem, Judea, and everywhere that you go, right? Okay. And so here's the deal with the book of Acts, and this is critical. This is probably where I can land for, for the morning. Uh, but, but Acts, there's a, there's a well-disputed theological tension there of, of Acts being descriptive or prescriptive. Like when you read the book, there's a big fight over are these things that happened once that just basically talk about what happened once? Or are these things happening always? And should we be mindful of these and repeating these things and looking for these things to happen? And of course, just like every other great theological question, it's yes, both of those things, right? It's both prescript and descriptive. So the goggles we have to have when we read the book of Acts is what I'd like to call the sometimes, always, and never goggles. You have to read this thing with a level of a filter. Is this something that happened one time? Is this something that happens often? Or is this something that should be happening all the times? Okay? So here's just an example of a couple sometimes things. Hey, when we started small groups and we had small group leaders up here, I didn't roll any lots to choose which small group leaders happened. Okay? That's not going to happen again. I'm not rolling lots for small group leaders. Uh, this was before the Holy Spirit. And so I'm picking, you know, Matthias, the 11th, 12th, 11th, what am I doing? 12th disciple to replace the uh, last, the Judas apostle. Um, that's a one-time thing. Transportation. I did hear of one person. It was really cool. They were getting uh, fired at in Haiti, and the Spirit transported them to another room for their safety. I think it can happen again. I just don't think it happens all the time. It happened one time. Eutychus, the kid that fell asleep because the preacher preached too long, and he fell asleep and, and, and fell out of the window. Hopefully that never happens again. That never happens again, right? Okay, but here's the always. Here it is, Acts chapter 2. Yeah, we're hearing it all. We're reading this all the time at church, but this is the always. The always passage is Acts chapter 2. This is what's always happening, the devotion. They've devoted themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That's always happening. There's never a day that you say, I'm not really in a season of prayer. Well, you are. If the Spirit of God is in you, this is an always thing. Everyone was filled with awe of wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 28 chapters for 28 years of church history is what the book of Acts is. And there's a sign and wonder on every page. And I bet you if you were looking, you'd have, you'd have some too in 28 years. In 28 years, you'd see some signs and wonders. Not every single day. But this is what's always happening. There's a devotion for bread and word and prayer. And then on the slide there, and what's always happening in the spirit is wonders, numbers, and needs. This is, this is categorically what is happening all the time. Here's what you will never see in the book of Acts ever happening. Number one, the church is a country club. You are never seeing somebody in there voting on how much money we should spend on the carpets. Like, that never happens in the book of Acts, right? We are comparing their sometimes to our sometimes, their always to our always, and their nevers to our nevers. You are never seeing anybody arguing over the budget, right, in that book. You are never seeing anybody that gets the privilege of sitting in the corner and critiquing uh, other preachers, pastors, or people in the church. We lay our credit card down when we enter into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You never see any celebrities. You never see any consumers. You never see any paid professionals doing the work and everybody coming in and hearing the speech. That's not what you see. You see day in, day out, bread and word of prayer so that wonders, needs, and numbers happens. So I'll, I'll close with the, the intentional question um, that we, we maybe take away. Let me read the verse and put the question up. Acts 1, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hit, uh, hid him from their sight. And here's the angels. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood before him. Men of Galilee said, why do you stand there looking at the sky? Why are you waiting for the politics to be just right? Why are you waiting for the church to be perfect? Why are you waiting for your situation to change? 
so that if that, then I will happen. Don't you know that if Jesus is up and the spirit is down, then today is for going. Every day is for going. And what is at stake is not whether or not you're saved, it's whether or not you will live in the story or someone else's. And so this photo album has come to us. It's not a guilt trip. It is not a guilt trip. It is a pleading invitation for you to experience everything that he died for, which is to be the church, to be the bride with the spirit, to be the glove for the hand, to live a life that actually means something and matters and isn't empty and, and, and consumeristic. And so I would just leave us with this question, this intentional question, like, how do we get going? How do we get going? And these are the three things that I would put for you to consider. Um, I'll ask the uh, band to come forward, and, and we'll prepare for communion uh, to close the service today. But as we spoke about earlier, life is too hard, and you know it, and I know it, and the stakes are against us, and the news is spinning it, and your head is spinning it, and you need to be filled with the Spirit. This is not a word thing or an argument thing. It is a power thing. And like a deer pants for the water, Psalm 42, so the church pants for the Spirit. We are needy and helpless without him, and it doesn't start until we... Like, look, if you are sitting at the edge of your seat looking at the book of Acts saying that is impossible, then you're in a great spot. Because it is impossible. The movement made its way in 30 years across the globe out of 12 losers full of the Spirit. If you think it's impossible, then you're seeing it rightly. Ask for the Spirit and watch as he sends you. Number two, consider writing out your story to think about a three-minute three answer, a 30-minute answer, a 10-minute answer, but being prepared. You're going to hear lots of sermons in this and ways to present. There's more than one ways to present the gospel. How would you present it if, if you were asked for the, for, to, to give an account for the hope? Lastly, defining your mission. I love, somebody gave me peas one time. What is your passion? What are you ticked about? What are you passionate about? What are you excited about? That that is probably the domain of where your mission, your personal mission might be leading you. What do you possess? What do you have that others don't? What do you not have that others have? To be intentional about your mission, not just Paul's. Lastly, who are your people? Who are the people that you trust on your three-by-five card that are easy to be around, that you don't just love but you like? It's, it's too lonely to do without the Spirit. It's too lonely to do without partnership. And so we'll just clear the floor here and open in prayer as we move into this year. But I'm excited about the book of Acts. And I pray that it offends us in the best of ways and encourages us in ways we didn't expect. I pray that it activates us to be an active church of doers, not just talkers. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.